Welcome to another episode with Coach Kathy. Today's topic is all about how do we become our own advocates of our neurodiverse brain in the workplace and be able to make an impact. Uh, I have the pleasure of sharing this story of Margot Jofi with you, where she talks about how not only she took her diagnosis and was able to understand it and then create a community for women called kaleidoscopesociety.com where other women, professional women, came together and talked about their stories of their ADHD brain. And through that, she took it even a step further. And in 2017, she expanded her impact to the workplace where she led the creation of the first neurodiversity employee resource group at Yahoo and Verizon Media. And get this, in two years, she scaled the group to a global network of support for employees in over 35 offices around the world. So talk about making an impact and speaking up for her neurodiverse brain, her ADHD brain, and being a bigger voice to those who aren't ready to speak up just yet. So I'm excited, I'm honored to have uh, Marco on my show, and she's gonna talk about how she went about creating that impact in her workplace and also her own personal journey. Enjoy this episode. Welcome, Margo. Thank you for accepting my invitation to be on my podcast today. It is my pleasure to have you here with us, and I am excited to talk about ADHD in the workplace and want to hear uh, some of the amazing work that you've done in your field, with your company, uh, with the ADHD community, and so forth. So without further ado, Margot, tell us a little bit about how you came about to getting diagnosed with ADHD in the first place. Yeah, thanks, Kathy. I'm happy to be here and just want to start off by saying uh, thanks for all the great work you do for the community through your coaching and really encouraging people with ADHD to, you know, just embrace and accept their diagnosis so they can move forward and build on their strengths and really live a fulfilling life. So thanks for all you do. I know we can get all the coaching we, we can get. Um, yeah, so for me, like so many other people, I wasn't diagnosed um, until later in my life as an adult. And we know that this experience is, is common, especially for women, um, because the diagnostic criteria for ADHD was informed by a lot of research done mostly on teenage boys, uh, especially white boys. So there's, um, from a gender and ethnicity perspective, um, uh, the, the ADHD experience has manifested differently for a lot of us. So I um, was always a creative and sensitive person, um, and a lot of the <clears throat> tendencies I had earlier in my life or the behaviors that I had, I, I just thought they were my fault. I heard messages like I was being lazy, things like that, um, and I never, I never thought, I never knew that I had ADHD. Um, I remember starting to get in trouble in second grade for being disrupted in class, talking when I shouldn't have been talking you know, forgetting my homework assignments or forgetting my books, things like that. So it was manifesting more through behavioral issues that, uh, you know, I just thought those things were my fault. And so I tried to correct it. 
Um, when I was 18, I was uh, diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Um, but because I didn't have like an external thing to point to, to say, this is why I feel these things. Again, I sort of just thought, well, I just need to pull it together and, and, you know, be positive and mm -hmm. figure this out on my own. <clears throat> and uh, it wasn't until I was in my later 20s, I had just moved to, from New York to San Francisco to take a new job. Everything in my life changed at once. And that transition was really hard for me. And I lost the support structures of my friends and the routines that I had in New York and so I was really kind of just struggling with that transition, moving out here. And I was working um, in an environment that was a startup environment. And so it was exacerbating a lot of my ADHD symptoms. And there wasn't the same like structure and organization that I had previously in my life. So I started to experience a lot of ang heightened anxiety, panic attacks. And I just knew something wasn't right. <clears throat> but it wasn't until... Um, I went to Ikea one day to get some furniture for my apartment and my mom was with me at the time and I kind of just had a meltdown honestly and sort of had like a sensory overload um, situation where externally you probably wouldn't know anything was wrong but just inside I was freaking out in my head I was like I was like I just need to get out of here and I was panicking and my mom called me the next day and uh, she was a she was a nurse practitioner professionally so very observant she just said you know have you ever thought you might have ADHD and she started reading me a list of symptoms how they show up in women I guess she had just read an article about it and she recommended that I go in to get an evaluation and I took it seriously coming from her because my parents growing up they were all about the basics good sleep good nutrition exercise. They didn't really believe in over medicating or, you know, um, they're all just about, you know, like the basics and, um, they both work at, worked in healthcare. So the fact that my mom recommended to, you know, cause there's still a lot of stigma out there today where people say ADHD isn't real yeah. or it's not a real condition. So I think coming from my parents, I did take it seriously and I went to get an evaluation and was diagnosed with ADHD and generalized anxiety disorder at the age of 29. Awesome. Well, awesome that you found out. And awesome for your mom for being your angel and, and planting that seed. And My mom is an angel. My mom is an angel and a superwoman. I don't know how she does it all. She has limitless energy. She does not have ADHD. She's like the opposite, very organized. I mean, not that people with ADHD can't be organized because many of us are very organized. Um, but yeah, so grateful to my mom. And I think the diagnosis was really a gift and it was really a breakthrough moment in my life. And I know for so many other women that I've spoken with as well, and something that I know you talk about on your website, right? It's just the information. And I always say knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. At when you can really understand your brain, then you can start to design your life accordingly and design a life that, that works for you. And so I had been living my life not without this piece of information that my brain worked differently. Mm -hmm. And so once I did get that information, I was able to understand for the first time why I was experiencing things the way that I was. And I was able to make adjustments both in my personal life and professionally. So I am so 
appreciative. Um, I was diagnosed six years ago this month and it's like an anniversary May 1st. Um, not that I, I don't like celebrate it per se, but it's just a really meaningful date for me because, um, it really was a breakthrough moment in my life. And, and so I always encourage people if they're wondering if they have ADHD, um, it doesn't hurt to, to seek out more information. And then once you learn about the symptoms, if you do think you need a professional evaluation to go and get an evaluation because it's just information. And then it's up to you to decide what you want to do with that information. Yeah, very true. I want to go back and thank you for sharing that. I want to go back to the transition between New York to San Fran and and also working in a startup that is, I'm sure, fast paced, a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty. Um, Did you see a balance between the good sides of your ADHD coming through? Because there's things that our brain loves about that uncertainty and that motivation and that drive of like, ah, yeah, I'm going to get this. And then of course the other side where it gave you anxiety. So what was that back and forth that you saw? Yeah. So I, you know, the, from a psychological perspective, all of us need that balance of change and stability. And so um, it's just finding that balance that's right for you. And I think that, uh, for me, I mean, sorry, let me, um, I know you're going to like edit, the, edit this, right? Or well, I'm going wrong. It's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Some people with the podcast, you know, they edit it. So I was like, let me just say this better. Well, That's here we go. Uh, we're going point of my podcast. It's absolutely wrong. <laughs> so I, okay. So I started off with one train of thought, but I want to change the train of thought, which is, um, people with ADHD are highly entrepreneurial and highly creative. And so that's why you see a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people that do work in Silicon Valley or the startup, you know, a lot of founders, um, there, there's a higher, higher rate of ADHD within, within the startup community. And it's so interesting that this is not something that's more widely discussed um, because people with ADHD are natural out of the box thinkers, divergent thinkers. They connect the dots that other people don't they can see opportunities that other people may miss. Um, And so um, for me, I've found that the balance that works well for me is is being able to have an intrapreneurial role within a larger company. So I found that I've been thriving where I have a role that is very creative and innovative within the context of a larger organization where there is structure and there is processes in place, right? so that there's process and organization around the basic administrative functions and the basic operating of the business. So then I can focus my entrepreneurial innovative thinking on solving, uh, solving complex issues. Um, if that makes sense. And I think for me, in the- but how did you get to that though? Well, I've had different jobs over the years, right? So I've worked mm-hmm. in, I've worked in government, nonprofit, startup, uh, corporate, so I think it's, you know, trial and error, you work, you, you know, you work in different environments and you learn what works for you and, and where you feel like there's more friction or it might not be, might not be a good fit. So I've worked in two different startup environments. Um, and I, I'm, I'm a very strategic thinker. So I think that for me, um, 
at least the startup experiences I've had where everyday priorities are changing and everyone's running everywhere. Um, and it's just execute, execute, go, go, go. Like I wasn't really thriving in that environment because I like to be really thoughtful and thinking about, you know, like a one year, three year, five year strategy, um, and tackling some of these bigger, you know, bigger challenges and then putting together a plan around it and having a calm, a calm way of working towards those goals. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it was just too stressful. Um, even though I do work in a fast paced environment now, so, Mm. but it's just, you know, a balance. Because then my observation of that is there's two sides of that. There's the side that likes the unknown and thrives in it. And yours truly goes in that realm. When I worked in the telco side, we were always launching new products, always, you know, pushing the boundaries of technology. And there was a lot of unknowns and I just loved it. And there was like tight deadlines and so forth. And then, and then there's the other side of ADHD that says, slow down. I need to think about this. I need to think it through, um, which I, I see that side coming from, from you. Yeah. So, I, th- I think as, you know, I'm just having a light bulb moment. I think I'm able to better distinguish what it is. So I think there's a distinct, uh, a distinction between, um, fast-paced, unknown, you know, that versus just operational um, processes and organization within a company. So I think that for me, um, where I've thrived is where I've been in environments where the basic operations of the company are solid. Yeah. And there's basic organizational processes for getting things done. And there's an HR department and there's people that are, you know, there's sufficient people in place to do the things needed to keep the company running. Um, And so I think, you know, it's sort of like, I always think about it like the river and the riverbank with ADHD. It's like, you know, having the riverbank so that the river can flow or having the structure so that we can work within it. Um, and so it's a balance. Yeah, makes a whole lot of sense. So let's talk about as over the years, you got to know your ADHD a little bit more. And I saw very typical ADD or once they find out what's going on with their head, they dive into research mode and they just like information overload. Um, what inspired you to come up with your Kaleidoscope Society And then the second question to that is then how did you take it into the workplace? Yeah, it's so funny because you described it perfectly. The the ADHD hyper-focus when we're interested in something, it's like the only thing we want to read, sleep, eat, breathe. So yeah, when I was diagnosed with ADHD, it was definitely a roller coaster of emotions. It was enormous relief um, and finally having clarity and so many aha moments to understand things that had happened, like looking back on my life and really being able to understand why things happened the way they did. Um, It was also confusing because I was like, wait a second, I have a disorder. I have a deficit. Like it was the first, it was, I was just like, that didn't really align with the, you know, the identity that I had for myself. So then it was, I was just like, wait, is something wrong with me? Right. So it was, it was all of this, like recalibrating this, this narrative that I had about myself and my life. And that's why I think, 
Um, again, it's so important that people take ownership of their diagnosis and tell their story and own their story and create a narrative that's powerful and empowering for them versus thinking, oh, okay, well, having those self-limiting beliefs like you talk about on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a way, I think in, in some senses, I think it was a gift that I wasn't diagnosed until later because I never had any limits that I had. I never put any limits on myself. Yeah. I never, when I was a child, I never said, well, I have ADHD, so I'm not really going to do well in this class or I'm not going to you know, achieve these things because there are those messages out there. If you have ADHD, you can't accomplish your goals. You can't stay focused to follow through. There's all these, you know, messages and myths and things yes, out there. Yes, set up standard criteria about executive functions that we are Right, missing. right. So, um, exactly. Okay, so back to your question. Um, it was, yeah, I, I went on a hyper-focused mission to learn everything I could about ADHD because imagine it was like I finally, for the first time, was getting this information that was explaining so many things in my life. Um, and I never set out to create a community for women with ADHD. I set out simply to understand my own mind. And what I found and what was shocking to me was there was such a lack of information for people like me out there. There was a lot of information for parents of like how to deal with children who have ADHD. There was information for adult men. And, you know, a lot of the famous people with ADHD you hear about, you know, you think about Richard Branson or Will Smith or, um, you know, all the, uh, Michael Phelps, you know, lots of, lots of people that have achieved great things in their life, but there were, wasn't the same, like where are female role models. Right. Yeah. And so, um, after complaining for a while, I had this light bulb moment of, uh, Oh my gosh, like, what if I'm the person that is, what if part of like my life purpose is to create, what not only for me, but for my community, like create something that can help others because my background is in media and marketing. Um, and I've produced websites and campaigns and videos like professionally. So um, I thought maybe this is something I can help to serve the community in this way and create a platform to elevate the voices and experiences of underrepresented um, people with ADHD. So That is what inspired Kaleidoscope Society. We launched the website five years ago and have been building a community for women. And it's really amazing. We've connected with women all over the world and I think 150 countries. Um, And it's just been incredible to connect with um, so many amazing people, hear their stories and see how, you know, sometimes... um, People just need to, to feel seen and feel like they're not alone. And at the end of the day, that alone is so powerful, feeling, feeling like they can recognize their experiences um, and understand they're not the only ones going through those things. And then find, find strength in community and find strength in knowing that there's other people that have walked the same path and learn from, learn from each other and mm-hmm. share strategies. Um, so I think that that peer-to-peer support is so important. Of course, um, it in, in complement with the other support they may need from their healthcare providers, from their therapists, but um, as part of an integrated support structure for ADHD, I think the peer-to-peer component is really powerful and important. Absolutely. I think a lot of times learning and experiencing in tribes and communities, it really does help you shift your perspective. And especially as women, I think 
if you go back into the olden days and olden days, I mean, when they used to say it takes a village to raise a child, you know, it was a village. It was, you know, a bunch of women getting together. I grew up in Middle East and I remember my parents, my aunts, like my mom, my grandma, they were always together. They would, you know, put the household together. They would cook together. They would talk together they would give each other advice crazy as sometimes they were but you know there was this sense of community that I think as human beings connection is so important now add to that a connection where I know your pain and like no other I know your pain that out gives me goosebumps because you don't have to sit there and explain yourself you just have to say a couple of words and I know exactly what you're going through right so that piece, I think, is so important. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I was, you know, looking at your website and your Instagram I've, I've been following. It's important to do that so that we all know we're not alone. That this, we're not also, we're not crazy. Because a lot of times we think we're the only ones with these emotions and these ways of being. And then when you see somebody else, and then when you add in the brain neurology to it, it's like, oh, thank God, it's just my brain. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's amazing for for that work and thank you for creating it and I'm so glad your light bulb moment went off and you created that community so on that note though speaking of that community so there's the outside and as I saw some of these women are high professionals high achieving you know what inspired the corporate side for you to speak up because I was told don't speak up about it which I said, the hell with that, I'm going to speak up about it. So what happened in your case? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, because we, a lot of people are given that advice of don't, don't share this information because it's going to hurt you professionally. And, um, and one of the stats out there that really struck me was, um, you know, over 55% of people with a mental health condition in general won't share it with anyone in their life for fear that it's going to impact their career. So I think the, the hiding and covering and shame around mental health in general um, is something that we know and we see. And it can be debilitating because it can hold people back from um, just getting connected to resources and support that could help them tremendously. So, you know, just having one conversation can change your life. Just having a conversation with someone that can make you feel more hopeful and then, you know, getting connected if you do need to go to therapy or you, whatever the support is that you do need. Um, and so it's like carrying around a secret and you're carrying this burden. And so by just being out, you know, it's like putting that burden down. And then it's like this weight is off your shoulders. So I will say that, for the first almost year that I was at my current job. So I started at Yahoo. And for almost the first year, I was not out about my ADHD in the workplace. Um, part of the reason was I started as a contractor. I was, I started as a, I was on a, I was on a contract for a quarter, I think three or four months. And so I was, you know, I was there to do a great job. I was there to do my job. And then I was going to go on to my next, I was freelancing at the time. And so you know, I just chose, I didn't see a reason to disclose and I wanted to be able to uh, do a great job and work without, and be able to be able to let people form their impression of me and my capability outside of stereotypes and stigma. Yeah. Because I know, because I know they exist. Yeah. And, um, and then I ended up 
being asked to offer to stay on full time, which was great. And I really, um, I was working in the creative department within marketing and I really, really loved it. And I did start feeling very inauthentic because here I was like a very strong advocate in the community, um, you know, doing a lot of organizing around ADHD and learning about neurodiversity as a whole. But in the workplace, I didn't feel like I was walking the walk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have a DNI role or an accessibility role at the time, right? It wasn't my, that's not why I was being paid to, to go to work. I wasn't working in diversity at right. the time. Um, but I did feel inauthentic. And then I remember the turning point was Teen Vogue uh, featured Kaleidoscope Society in an article. And I remember I found out and I was like, so I, I didn't know that they were, that they were doing it. Um, and I, and I found out and I was so excited and I wanted to share with my coworkers. And I realized it's like, no one even knows that I have ADHD, that mm. I volunteer in my, in my community doing this work. And I realized like, you know, it's time for me to be um, open with it. So I had a, so I first disclosed to my manager who was very supportive. Um, he, he's, ama- he's amazing. He's not my manager anymore, but he was great. Very supportive. And I disclosed my ADHD to him. And I actually, in the same conversation, proposed starting an employee resource group for neurodiversity. Um, And the reason being is that although no one was talking about mental health or neurodiversity at the time, I knew that I was not alone. And I knew just from statistics, I knew that there was people in the workplace going through the same thing I was, you know, putting on the mask and going to work every day. Yeah. Um, I couldn't prove it, but I just knew. I just knew in my heart that it was true. And so um, we, we, had an, we have an employee resource group program already. So it was great. You know, we're already part of a company that's committed to inclusion, that wants employees to be able to participate fully in the workplace and bring their full selves to work. So we already had that foundation. And so I put together a proposal for starting the neurodiversity resource group. And at the time, there wasn't anything um, sort of existing like it so it was what a little, year was that? Do you remember? 2017 three years ago so there was like autism hiring programs and there were some you know mental health initiatives and programs at other companies mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people didn't even know what the word neurodiversity was so it was right. really interesting but it was so we launched three years ago and it started out small and then one by one people started coming out of the woodwork joining the group and saying like I have dyslexia I'm autistic. My, my daughter, my daughter's autistic or like my, um, my partner suffers from clinical depression and like, this is how I'm coping with it. And, and it was one of the most beautiful and meaningful and transformative experiences in my life. In addition to kaleidoscope society of like breaking open this whole new world and this whole new opportunity for connection within the workplace Mm -hmm. and just providing a peer to peer community where employees could, um, you know, be open about what's, what's coming up for them in their life and then starting to share resources and tools and strategies so that everyone, um, so that we can all like help each other, um, both in our professional life and personal life. So again, like it was just empowering people feeling like they could put this burden of this secret down. They didn't have to be hiding in the workplace. 
Um, and then just like laughing and, and connecting over shared experiences and feeling like, you know, we're part of this powerful community now in the company where we have each other's backs. And like you said, in the conversation, we don't need to, you just have to show up. You don't have to explain. Mm-hmm. You don't have to explain. We get it. You know, yeah. we get it. And, and we all have a dip. We're all experiencing these things differently because everything's even, you know, autism or ADHD, it's, it's a spec, there's it's a spectrum and everyone's experiencing it differently, but we have that shared experience of feeling, um, you know, like an outsider in certain ways or feeling like not really understanding, you know, or feeling like we quite fully mm-hmm. fit it. And then realizing, like, I think what's been most interesting for me about the ERG is it's just created this culture where we can just be more human in general. And just let me ask you um, a couple of questions coming up for me. One is around um, so the, the overall purpose of the resource group is to do what? So the mission, um, when we founded the group, empower all minds in the workplace through education, awareness, and a global network of support. So we had, so our mission, um, building this inclusive workplace for minds of all kinds, and the strategic pillars that we focused on were number one, building a global network of support. So we created a chapter-based model, and um, I believe we now have chapters in 13 offices around the world um, and hundreds of employees who are involved in the group. Awesome. The, the second strategic pillar w- was around awareness and education, because we know that there is a low level of awareness. There's the awareness around neurodiversity and education around it within the workplace setting is very low. And you look at, um, there was a study about HR professionals and the majority of HR professionals do not um, consider neurodiversity in their work. It's not something that is considered no. or factored into processes and um, ways of working um, in workplaces today, but that's changing. And the third strategic pillar we focused on was um, was impact in society. So um, volunteering and you know sharing what we were sharing what we were doing um, to inspire other companies as well. And we've seen um, there's been several companies that have uh, started either mental health or neurodiversity initiatives um, following following our group. So that's a little bit of overview of the, of the ERG. And we're actually going through fast forward a few years later, Yahoo was acquired by Verizon. So um, now we are Verizon media part of Verizon and we um, now are expanded. So we have Yahoo, but also all of Verizon's other digital media properties like HuffPost and AOL and makers women um, and many other digital media uh, program. So we are now a bigger group and now we are even in the process of integrating with Verizon's disability ERG. So we're going to be expanding into one bigger ERG that is going to be an umbrella that supports um, everything from all across disability, including um, neurodiversity and mental health. So that's all. There's a point here uh, that you mentioned that I want to bring to everybody's attention is something must have worked really well that when you guys got acquired, the bigger umbrella said, we're going to keep it intact and keep it going. So kudos to you for that. And I, I, I want to hear about that. What do you think was one of the number one benefits that the organization saw and said, oh my gosh, we need to keep this going? 
Yeah. So I'll talk about benefits and then I'll talk about what I think were some of the things that helped us Mm -hmm. um, keep going. So for the benefits, I think that in times of organizational change, the ERGs are immensely helpful for employees overall. So you look at what's happening. to spell out ERG. Oh, ERG, Employee Resource Group. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you look at times of change, whether it's an integration, a merger, what we're going through now with the pandemic, with COVID-19, anytime there's a lot of organizational change or things like that, ER, employee resource groups um, are a resource for employees that provide support, emotional support, psychological, like those feelings of psychological safety. It's a, it's a group of people that you can go to outside of your direct team to connect with, um, share, you know, just share and connect and feel it's just an outlet, right? It's an outlet of support. So I think that companies benefit tremendously from ERGs, um, especially in supporting retention of diverse talent and um, development of diverse talent and even acquisition of talent. Because you look at um, the ERGs partner a lot of times with our talent acquisition teams. So um, I love that. So around how to interview and so forth. Yeah. And I think one, so back to the thing, I think one of the things that helped us is we had support from several high level executives Mm -hmm. and there were, um, you know, we had, we've had a couple different executive sponsors and it's been really incredible, but because of, because our ERG exists, we've had high level executives come out of the woodwork and say, I have ADHD, I have bipolar and et cetera, right? Sharing what, disclosing their own conditions and saying, I think this, what this group is doing is amazing and I want to, um, I want to support and I want to speak out. So I think the ERG has been a platform for people to really own part of their identity that they formerly were hiding and also to feel like they could actually appreciate Um, And it's sort of like a reframe because we talk about our differences can be an asset. And so what makes us different in the workplace makes us valuable because we're all bringing different perspectives to the table and different ways of thinking to the table. And so it makes us stronger together overall. Um, So it's been super empowering having this group. Um, We have an amazing leadership team. And after the first two years that I was the global lead of the group, Um, We elected in new global leaders. So we have a full new leadership team that's leading the charge and taking it to new heights that I I couldn't even have thought of. And so Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of the group and really um, everything that they are doing and continue to do. I want to stand up and give you a standing ovation, Margot, because this is not a small thing you've done. And and kudos to you for speaking up, being brave about it and and creating a new role for yourself, like your role has evolved now to, to you know, what you're doing now, which is so amazing and so inspiring. Um, I want to ask you, if, if there was an organization that was listening to this right now, what's the very first few steps that they can take to kind of open up the conversation for their neurodiverse members in the organization that it's okay, it's safe, you can come and tell us? Yeah, that's a big question. I would say starting, it just depends on the organization um, and their size and what's going on because um, unfortunately, 
Um, even though the Americans with Disabilities Act exists since 1990, and even though there's protections under the law in the workplace, and you can't discriminate against um, an employee for having a disability in organizations with 15 employees or more, unfortunately, discrimination in the workplace still happens today. Yeah. So I just want to temper this whole conversation with acknowledging that, unfortunately, not every company is as progressive or as open-minded as the company that I have the privilege to work in. Right. Um, and we have heard stories um, through Kaleidoscope Society where um, you know, people have been uh, discriminated against or fired. Um, uh, and of course, no one's gonna say, oh, we're firing you because of ADHD or because yeah. of whatever condition, but they find another way to get you out, right? So I just wanna put that caveat out there. So I, I think that um, <clears throat> from an individual's perspective, it's just, um, no, first of all, just starting with knowing if you, if you do have a neurodivergent condition, if you do have ADHD, just looking into your policies, like does your company have a diversity and inclusion policy, a policy around accessibility? What are kind of the policies and philosophies of the organization? What's the organizational culture? Is there um, a diversity team? Is there any language around um, disability inclusion in your company? So you're just getting an understanding of like what the risk level is before you come out loud and proud, you know, saying yeah. I have this condition, right? Just, just, uh, just kind of getting understanding of the organizational culture and, and all of that. And then seeing, is there an existing group you might get involved with? Like, is there a diversity and inclusion group or an employee resource group of any type or a mental health initiative or something? Is there an existing forum that you could get involved in that, that you feel safe to raise up some of these topics for discussion? Mm -hmm. um, and then I think that for organizations, I mean, there's so many great resources out there. There's an organization called Disability In, which is really helps businesses advance disability inclusion in their, in their workplace, but also in their marketplace and supply chain. So disability in for any, if there's any HR professionals listening to this or anyone like leaders within a company and you want to start um, increasing disability inclusion in your workplace, you can check out disability in and they have a ton of resources for employer, employers. There's also an organization named Mindshare Partners, and they specifically help businesses um, create mental health initiatives and mental health programming. So Mindshare Partners is another resource that businesses can check out. And um, there's, there's many other resources, and I'm sure I'm like not mentioning some, of, some key partners that I'm going to feel bad about later, but um, those are just two that come to mind. And, you know, I think the other thing is like, Companies can start small. They don't have to come out with launching this whole strategy and this whole program, right? You could just start small, like starting a conversation, inviting a speaker, uh, a speaker, a professional to come in and talk about mental health or talk about neurodiversity. I know this week is Global Accessibility Awareness Day coming up on Thursday. And I know that Adobe is hosting Danny Donovan, who yeah. is the ADHD comic. So we just recently interviewed Danny. She's awesome. She just started creating comics about her ADHD experience and they went viral because they were so relatable and because they um, helped explain what is so hard to explain about the ADHD brain. So she really like geniusly has a talent for bringing to life the ADHD experience through comics. So anyway, Adobe is hosting Danny to come on Global Accessibility Awareness Day and talk about ADHD in the workplace. So I think that's a great example, finding an interesting speaker yeah. Uh, author to come in and, you know, create that platform for conversation. And then mm -hmm. it just starts, you know, and it really just starts small. And then you 
take it step by step, just open it up. People will come forward and you can start growing organically that way. I love that. I appreciate that. Especially the, the starting small, because all it takes is one manager, one team lead that can be supportive. I mean, look at your manager, you know, when, when you opened up, they were supportive. And that's all we need is just that one support system can help us move mountains in an organization, but just knowing that somebody's got our back or being able to have that dialogue. So I, I really appreciate um, all those awesome suggestions. So my friend, I want to thank you for this time that, that you've spent with me and giving me this, this story of such an amazing, inspiring experience, not only to get the help you needed to get the help and also helping others and empowering others to come out of their shell and say, Hey, we're all here and we all matter. So thank you so much, Margo. Before I leave, is there one last parting thought that you want to leave with my listeners here? Yeah. So I think that um, something that we say a lot in our employee resource group is there's no such thing as normal. And once you let go of this idea that you need to strive towards this normal or an idea of what you should be like or how you should work, then once we can move past that, we can really unlock our full potential and the limitless possibilities that we have um, in our work life and in our personal life. And I think that the coronavirus situation is really exposing that, um, that we had this scaffolding that we were all clinging to, the scaffolding of routine, uh, going to the office, doing these things that made us feel like there was some... um, like basically things we rely on and now really realizing like this whole thing is forcing us to be more real. Mm -hmm. And in some ways I think it's, it's going to change forever the workplace culture. And I think it's going to accelerate this movement towards being more human at work. And I think that part of it is going to be a welcomed evolution for us. Um, in the workplace and its society. So I think parting words, letting go of this idea of normal and just building on your strengths and doing you. Awesome. Thank you. Well said, my friend. Thank you so much.